Hi everyone, uh, welcome to the podcast by How to E-Commerce. Uh, really good to have everyone back here again with us. I hope you all enjoyed the previous episodes. So today we have a very different approach than we usually do. We usually have like brand founders with us, operators from brands, but this time we have someone who's very different, who's going to bring a whole new perspective into what D2C needs in today's day and age. And hi, Sarah, welcome to the show. And let me just give some background on uh, Sarah. Uh, Sarah is um, ICP creator. She's a performance creator strategist. And she's a person who understands uh, data, brings in the consumer psychology, and gives, gives the kind of output that brands need to see. So that's uh, just what Sarah does and who she is. So thank you so much for your time, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I am so happy to be here. This is going to be super fun to talk about. I've been, been thinking about what we're going to talk about as we go through this. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so much fun. So thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Sarah. So, I mean, like, uh, you said you're based out in uh, Colorado, right? Like, uh, how's it over there? How's the weather? How's the whole vibe as such? Yeah, Colorado is interesting. I'm, not, I'm actually about an hour north of Denver. I'm in Fort Collins. And this town in particular has a lot of families. It's very, like, outdoorsy-based. Everybody walks everywhere, rides their bike everywhere. So, it's really, really interesting town to live in. But I'm glad that I live close to Denver because Denver in itself is like such a creative hub. I mean, the, the culture that's in Denver is really, really interesting. And the weather here is usually pretty nice. We only have, I don't know, a couple of months maybe where it's pretty gray out. But usually Colorado's sunny like year round. I think, what do they say, like 300 days of sunshine or something like that? So we get a lot of sun, which is great. Wow, that's... I'm a sunshine <laughs> person. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. I love Colorado. It's like one of my favorite states, definitely, obviously. I live here. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard a lot about Colorado and I know a couple of friends who actually moved out of like California and New York and shifted to Colorado and not Florida. So I guess yeah. that's... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to leave once you get here. It's such a great place to live for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good. So uh, Sarah, I mean, uh, tell me a little bit about your background in D2C and like what have you been doing there? would love to understand more about that. Sure. So I actually started freelancing a long time ago, way back before it was even cool to freelance <laughs> or to be an entrepreneur. Um, I started when I was 21 um, and I'm going to be 34 this year. So I've been doing it for a very, very long time. Uh, I actually started with a company that was big, huge brand. They made water testing instruments. They brought me on to do just brand strategy, just graphic design straight. Like everything that went out the door, I had to make sure that it at least spoke to our brand. So it was a lot of work of just tedious, a lot of tweaks, a lot of changes in the graphic design and lots of staying on brand. <laughs> always, always, always. They kept me for two years and then they cut my position. And uh, I think it was the CMO at the time came to me and said, we really like working with you. You're really good at what you do. Can you just go start a business and then we'll work with you as a contractor? And I said, I don't know how to do that, but I will certainly give it my best efforts. So I went out and I figured out how to start a business. Luckily at the time, legal Zoom was a thing. So I went and I started yeah. a business and then I started working for them. Um, and then for the next 10 years, I just did everything I possibly could. I did email marketing and I did website wireframing. I had Amazon FBA and I did Etsy. Like I did everything that I could possibly find, um, it, which was nice because I, I had a lot of experience coming up to this period in my life. So, and it, it was a ton of copywriting, a ton of graphic design, a ton of brand work. 
Um, and I just kind of got to practice a lot of different things. So it was super fun uh, freelancing for the last 10 years. And then just recently in the last, probably about two to three years, I jumped into doing paid advertising. Something totally new for me. I had never done it before. But I quickly got two or three different clients up in Jackson Hole. I was running lead gen ads for hotels up there, which was super, super fun because late 20s, somewhere in there, mid to late 20s, my, um, <clears throat> excuse me, my husband's family owned a boutique hotel in Fort Collins. So I was doing their marketing for them and freelancing at the same time. So I just loved hospitality, love hotels. So when I got into paid advertising, I just thought maybe I'll just do lead gen ads for hotels. <laughs> and I started doing that and I loved, loved, loved it. And from there, I actually just fell into e-com by accident. This was early last year. I started to gain kind of traction with a few clients who wanted, obviously, just direct-to-consumer product ads brand for them. And I went through Black Friday of last year, and we saw kind of the rise of UGC through the summer and into the fall. And then right at the end of last fall, I kind of just made a switch over from doing no lead gen at all, all e-com-based ads, over to doing content strategy and creative strategy mostly because that's what people kept asking for. Even though like I, I was a decent media buyer, the majority of what I was doing was actually more strategy. <laughs> yeah. So fast forward to this year, the majority of what I'm doing is a lot of research, a lot of development, a whole bunch of like target market psychology based stuff um, and a ton of creative strategy. So all I'm doing now is, is basically teaching people and helping brands figure out the best way to start their strategy so that they can actually take it to their media buyer and their graphic designers and start running with it. So that's kind of a synopsis. <laughs> that's, that's, that's amazing because you had like a full 360 uh, rounding of things, I would say. I mean, like you've literally like been from, let's say like, I mean, more than a decade more in the whole space. And obviously, <laughs> like, like you said, you started out with one particular area, you've covered like UGC, you've covered strategy, and you've eventually got into like, you know, performance marketing, which is, which gives a whole different perspective, right? Which, which I feel is very critical today because um, yeah, like yeah. what you have is a big advantage, which is, is really great. And, and kudos to you. I mean, it's, it's surely not easy to uh, learn so much and keep adapting as things change. Um, like yeah. I'm sure you must be facing a lot of challenges with uh, the recent hurdles that Facebook has been throwing when it comes to like running ads, right? So uh, I'm sure that there's a lot of innovation happening on your side over there. So I mean, like some thoughts on that area? Yeah, well, and Facebook has changed a ton. Obviously, the biggest change is their name. <laughs> but other than changing their name, they have been through rounds and rounds and rounds of updates and all kinds of iOS changes have just trashed their data. And I, I do... I feel bad for them. I know a lot of people don't feel bad for them, but I feel bad for them from a business standpoint because they lost a huge amount of trust with their customers based on changes that some of them, they didn't have any control over. So that's been really tough to kind of fight as a media buyer because it's my job to make sure that we're making sales and we're hitting our numbers and you know all of our percentages are, are going in the direction we want them to. But yeah, it's, it's hard. I, if you're a media buyer, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I, Facebook is just making it so hard and, and so is Apple, you know, so is Google. Like it's just, it's hard because we, our job is to use platforms that we have no control over. And so, yeah, it's rough. It's a hard time on here right now, for sure. Hopefully TikTok becomes a lifesaver. Yes, hopefully. Come on, TikTok. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, Sarah, you've 
spoken a lot about icp on your twitter and you've been connecting that back in like consumer psychology and you've spoken a lot about with regard to like what is the whole concept of let's say like creating content for people basis their value that you give back to them right so what is the whole meaning of icp and how does that help out brands yeah icp is really interesting because i've heard it uh, termed quite a few different ways some people will call it icp which is ideal customer profile uh some people will call it customer avatars target market avatars you know demographic like there's different ways to say it it basically all means the same thing um from a standpoint of icp development what we're looking for is we're looking to get much more than just demographics so usually when a brand goes through and gains information on their customers they're looking for very specific things what's their age are they married do they have kids where do they live how much money do they make what kind of house do they live in those types of things very basic information which is also important for icp development but when i go through and do my target market research i'm i'm looking for much more than just who they are as like a functional person i'm looking more for emotional triggers and factors so a lot of the research that i do is psychology based i'm looking more for what do they want out of life how much are they are they spending like how much time are they spending on trying to manage their goals and meet those goals who else is involved in meeting those goals are they, if they're married obviously does their husband have a weigh in on what kind of toothbrush they buy for their kids or you know what kind of car they drive you know those type of things are really important when it comes to icp development because humans are very complex really creative really chaotic creatures yeah <laughs> and we sell to humans so <laughs> it's really important when you go through and do this research to not just get the basics of demographics you need to get psychographic information as well super super important that's that's really interesting but but the challenge is you know uh, obviously when first time founders want to start out a brand right i mean they're probably playing the role of like let's say like everyone anything that is there when they start out and the, it's not easy at all so like how do they really like you know solve for that because obviously if they go to someone who can help them you know create an icp as such but they are the ones who need to give the core input of like you know what exactly is my customer like and what do they like what do they don't like so how do you recommend someone to like approach in breaking down their icp is there like let's say like a, a procedure or a template that you would like you know recommend as such yeah It's really interesting because I get this question a lot of what is the best way to develop that or to take that information once you get it and use it. Um and I agree it's it's very difficult this even even for people that have the demographic information it's very hard to figure out okay I know how much they make and where they live and if they have kids but what do I do with that information? So I agree. Um one of the best resources that I have found is actually a book that was written by my friend Will Leach. Um he did a book called Marketing to Mind States that basically distills like big brand consumer research into using it for smaller brands. And so his method is fantastic because he's kind of figured out a good way to distill down what the process is for these giant like Pepsi, Coca-Cola, huge guys and put it into a framework that you can use. So he starts with lots and lots of research. Most of the time he wants to have a one-on-one conversation with the customer themselves. I like I try to do this as well. So I've kind of taken his framework and tweaked it for DTC mostly because obviously our our industry is very specific we're trying to do a very specific thing um and get repeat buyers 
So usually when I go through and I do my target market research, I will go and do a ton of reading, lots and lots of comments, lots and lots of reviews. I'll take all of those reviews, stick them in a spreadsheet, and then I want to go through and read every single one and try and spot any trends because these trends are going to tell you what exactly your people are looking for, uh, what previous purchasers have liked in the past, and what they've hated, which is also a very, very powerful thing to use in marketing. Once you have all of that, then I usually take it and I stick it through a lot of analyzers. So I'll go do word clouds and I'll do sentiment analyzers. I want to figure out what are these people feeling? What like phrases are they coming up with more and more often? Yeah. Um, yeah. From there, then we can take it and we can say, okay, here's the framework. I have a person, maybe she's 24 years old. She lives in an apartment by herself with a cat. <laughs> you know, maybe she has a nice car and she has a good job. There's your demographics. But she also, from the research we did from ICP, she also is the person that she's very into her health. She's interested in vegan or vegetarianism. Maybe she has a sibling that she's trying to care for on the side. She's really, really into holistic healing, right? So now we kind of know what her emotional state is. And say you're trying to sell coffee to her. Well, now it's kind of easy. We need to take our messaging and push. We're very holistic. We're very caring brand. You should definitely drink our coffee because it will give you something to give back to yourself because you care for people a lot. So it's easy to kind of craft messaging once you know the emotional state of these people. Obviously, emotions will change. And this is yeah. the reason why I tell people ICP development changes. <laughs> you should never just do it. You never, ever do one ICP research development and then quit for the next decade. Like It's going to change and evolve. But this is, this is how you can use it. Take their emotional state, craft your messaging and your, your graphic design and your images around it. Okay, that's, that's, that's interesting. But, but the thing is, Sarah, I mean, like one doubt that I had is like when you're talking about is, I mean, it is critical about like having the right messaging for the customer, right? Or the consumer in the case of it. Because I mean, for example, if both of us are probably like trying to buy the iPhone, you would probably buy the iPhone for a very different reason. I would buy it for a different reason. But if Apple yeah. doesn't talk to you the way that would convince you to buy it and the way that would ideally work for me, I mean, it's not going to work out, right? So, I mean, companies like Apple have really cracked that way of like, you know, defining their ICP and like knowing how to like use the right let's say like words to pull them in or the images as such. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to like brands, like smaller brands as such, like brands that are probably like doing just say a couple of million dollars in revenue per year, but are looking at accelerating towards, let's say like the 20 million or 25 million range in the next couple of years. How do these brands, let's say like help their teams in kind of like, you know, they, they can't be like one size fits it all kind of scenario when it comes to the words and the creative uh, TOV. I mean, don't know why as such. How do you sort out that time, right? Like, how, how do you really crack that area? Yeah, yeah, 100%. That's a really good question. So the interesting part about this is, obviously, when you develop these ICPs, you're going to get a ton of different ones, right? You're going to have a lot of different emotions that people are going through as they purchase. Trends are very, very important because you're going to notice that one type of person seems to be the bulk of your customers. But when it comes to brands, and this is where brand strategy comes in, and it's, it's really helpful for me that I had that experience way back in my 20s of understanding how brand strategy works. You're not trying to get people to buy more from your brand. You're trying to get people to buy in more. You want people to actually become a part of your brand. Because as soon as people are, are invested in something, it's very difficult. It's, yeah, it's usually difficult to get them to stop this, this trend of, of buying into the brand. So for instance, 
if you had like the coffee shop again if you had a brand that was had our icp she's very caring she's very holistic she's into her health we're going to message around that and you don't want to like leak through the cracks all these other people then what you're going to do is you're going to create a community around your brand and i'm sure you've heard a lot of like the the big big players like Gary Vaynerchuk and all these guys talk about your brand needs to become a media brand. I interpret that as your brand needs to create some sort of community that these people can be a part of. If it's on TikTok, fine. If it's on Facebook, fine. If it's on Twitter, fine. Wherever you need to be, you need to start basically making your brand a human that these people can get behind. So if your brand has no personality, it's going to be really hard for anybody to become invested in that. That's true. Really so important true. in branding. The whole community angle really uh, is clicking in now, right? The whole reason being is, uh, I was just talking to a couple of my uh, friends who are on the analysis side, like, and what they've told me is on the retail sales, they're, they're saying retail sales is primarily going to slow down for the whole of the rest year, right? Primarily because of the war, the war is shooting up like prices, right? And obviously, people are going more into uh, a conservative purchase pattern, like they don't want to spend, they want to save. So obviously, like people are not going to, you know, like choose to experiment or try out a new brand at this time, right? They're going to probably hold on into it. I think right now it's all about retention for the next couple of like uh, quarters or even for the rest of the year, I would say. Like, yeah. what do you feel about that? Like, do, do you kind of like think this makes sense? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's, it's good that I think you brought that up because I see this a lot on Twitter, especially because that's where kind of all the DT space lives. Um, everybody's talking about the fact that we have high click-through rates, we have really high spend on things, which indicates decent health for your ads, uh, but we have no conversions, nobody's buying. <laughs> and I'm like, that's the problem that I'm seeing as a media buyer. I have a few accounts that I still media buy for, and I'm like, it's so frustrating because all I'm trying to do is get people to see us as a solution, right? And it's nobody's converting. So yeah, it's, it's tough, and I, I completely agree that now is the attention time now is the time to build brand, not necessarily build revenue. So if you're focused on that, specifically this spring and possibly even into the summer, people are holding on to their money for dear life right now. And it makes sense. Everything that's happening in the world, consumers get afraid pretty quickly. Um, and holding on to their money is, is one way they get back control. So anytime that you hold money, <laughs> it's difficult for brands because obviously we're trying to stay afloat and stay alive. Yeah, I, I would say now is the time for you to start pushing attention. If you can start on TikTok, if you can start on Twitter, if you can get on Pinterest, if you can create any sort of blog or brand anything, now is the time to focus on that for sure. Completely agree. Yeah, yeah. I mean, community building is the way forward. Then. <laughs> yep, yep. Community. Everything's about community. Yep. <laughs> but like you mentioned, right? It's, it's not hard. It's like you know even if people don't have the resources, right? Like they can still try to do it by themselves. Like founders who are struggling to probably like find the budget for marketing. I mean, all they need to do is just, you know, go on to like TikTok and be the face of the brand. I've seen some really interesting brands do that. Like Poppy's uh, founder. I mean, she's doing an amazing job yeah. in being the face of the brand. And, and, and I think her story as to why she started it, like from the apple cider vinegar to like going towards the concept of making Poppy, that's one example. Like I, I've seen people like uh, Imi Eats, uh, Kevin, uh, like very interesting brand, like the way they've come across with Raman. Like the way he started, Imi has a beautiful story towards it. And they have a thriving community on Facebook, which is doing really well. 
So I think there's a lot of like success stories also out there that like you know founders can like you know take inspiration out of and like start out. I mean, starting out small at least, right? I mean, you you can't be, let's say, like uh, an overnight superstar, but from there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and there's so many cheap and free ways to do it nowadays. I mean, TikTok is a completely unused resource for yeah. the majority of the brands that I've seen. I'm like, why aren't you guys on TikTok? And, and again, it's not to say that the other brands aren't viable anymore. It's more the fact that like you're going where the crowd is going. You need to follow the people, right? Like if everybody's headed towards a specific spot and they're enjoying being there, then they should also enjoy your brand being there. So I, yeah, and it's free. <laughs> it's free to get on TikTok. <laughs> you should just start filming whatever you're doing. It doesn't have to be perfect. And yeah, yeah just, just see what you can generate. It, there's no hurt to any test you could ever make test everything. <laughs> 100%, yeah, yeah. And TikTok's algorithm is working to everyone's advantage. So, yeah. So, uh, Sarah, what is your input and opinion with regard to like, let's say like today people are taking the route of like uh, producing a lot of uh, user-generated content, right? I mean, yes, I, I do agree, like necessarily not all of them are exactly users. It's kind of like in a way that how it is uh, planned out and structured. But obviously, today's consumers are aware of that too. Right? They are aware that okay, okay, UGC is not exactly UGC. There is something else happening over there. So how do how do people like actually really make UGC happen? Like I'm, I'm talking about not us trying to like tie up with people to generate UGC content, but in a way, how do you like you know switch on that lever for a brand to generate UGC through like you know the love that they have for their consumers as such. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and this is something we've talked about so many times over on Twitter. I keep coming up on Twitter because that's where all the conversation is, but it happens so much. And now I'm noticing people are getting more and more frustrated with the actual term UGC because the term itself means user generated content. So it's, it's supposed to be just the users, not the marketers. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. that would be MGC marketing generated content. Yeah. So UGC in itself is extremely powerful. It does a lot for the human psyche from like a, a psychological standpoint. Humans' brains are fitted with mirror neurons, so we really like to watch people do things as we learn, especially. Um, kids will do this a lot, obviously, with their parents and with their peers. It, watching somebody do something actually fires the same neurons in your brain as if you were doing it. So a lot of times when they're watching UGC, it's extremely powerful for priming the brain to move. So if they're watching somebody drink coffee, they immediately crave coffee, right? It's very visceral that way. That's the reason why UGC is so powerful. It's very difficult though, because as you've seen, there's been some rise of these brands who have been basically building a product to pump out as much of these UGC kind of style videos as possible. And you're starting to notice that consumers are noticing, which is really interesting because for a long time, yeah. I don't think consumers really noticed the dip. They were just like, oh, this is somebody's random video that like, so I don't know this person, but they're just a human and they actually bought this product. I think it was more believable last year when it was really new. Now that we've gotten to this point and we have things like Dilio, you know, there's just, there's bigger brands that are starting to do it a lot more. Um, I think consumers are, are starting to notice a little. The way we combat this is basically by creating UGC that is actually real. And that sounds odd, <laughs> but like when I go through and I create UGC, I will have brands send things to my door. I don't create a lot of it. So I'm, I'm not like a known face yet. Hopefully that never gets to that point. Cause again, once people start seeing your face on multiple brands, 
it ruins like kind of the yeah, credibility. <laughs> exactly. So usually I'll have brands send it to my door and then I won't look at it at all. I'll usually set it like in a closet somewhere. I'm like, and again, for all those brands, like I'm taking very good care of your product, I promise, but I'm setting it aside so that I can give myself a few days to like yeah. not think about it. And then when I go to film, I'll take it out and I'll open it up for the very first time to make sure that the reactions that I'm capturing on film are real. Humans are extremely good lie detectors. They, they can tell when you're not like authentic, genuine, uh, based upon how your eyes squint, based upon how your face kind of tightens up, based upon what your chin is doing in your eyebrows. It also is, has a lot to do with body language. Most of the time when we're faking stuff, we're kind of tense tight. Um, so I try really, really hard to make sure that when I'm recording things, they are all first look. Or if it is something that I have to practice with, I'll usually do it on the second time I practice it. I, I try and make sure that everything I do has to be as real as I could possibly get. Because we're trying to sell a product, obviously, and these people need to see that somebody is is using it in the way I would use it. And that's the only way that I've been able to generate good good results and get UGC that has longevity. I mean, if you're going to use this for a long time, it has to be real. It has to actually be real. Hundred <laughs> percent, yeah. I mean, you have it spot on. Like, oh, I'm just trying to like recollect what we spoke earlier when we started this conversation, also about like how you've kind of like you've actually been in every avenue of like, you know, marketing, like, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really cool. It's, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of yeah, advantages to it. Yeah. I, I think this is the reason why too, that like some of the stuff that I post on Twitter is a little weird because a lot of it has to do with this weird neuroscience stuff that I'm just randomly interested in. Um, but yeah, the, the experiences, the, the past experience that I had with building websites and doing landing pages and I did sales for for a while and, I've even been like brick and mortar style businesses. Obviously I was involved in the boutique hotel that like my husband's parents owned. There's just like a ton of weird experiences that I've had, but they've all kind of helped me, especially when it came to paid advertising, because eventually I, I needed pieces of it to figure out how, okay, how do I use all this experience in UGC or in, you know, my creative or in my strategy. So yeah, it's beneficial. Use what you have. I'd say in freelancing, especially if you've got experience in something in email, use that experience for websites, use it for paid advertising, use it for creative, because it all kind of blends together anyways. So yeah, 100%. Yeah. I mean, it's all distribution at the end of the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, Sarah, I mean, going into the conversation of science, right? Because end of the day, like what you told earlier, that human beings are not simple. They are complex minds. They're unique minds, yeah. not in the... Mm -hmm way of anything negative but you know that's uh, that's the beauty of being a human being right like in, in a family uh, you you can have like a mother father like a son and a daughter but all the four of them can be completely different from each other right like oh, yeah. <laughs> so the, the thing is it's kind of like shocking right like the, the whole beauty there is human beings are common in a lot of ways but they're so different in so many other ways right so how do we really use this kind of like you know understanding of how the human works and functions and creating that kind of like value for them because today it's not just about a brand saying hey buy me buy me right like a brand's got to connect to someone like that's when we spoke about the community angle right so how do we bring in the science for brands to understand how to approach this yeah well in the science part of it uh i feel like 
the majority of it, we just need to get more information. People just need more knowledge on the basics. There's two things that we have kind of gravitated on, especially in the DTC world, social proof and authority proof, right? They're, they're used common as kind of like motivators to get people to buy. Those yep. two are actually a, a, just two pieces of a huge bucket of things called heuristics. They're basically mental shortcuts that we take as humans to be able to validate our, our decision-making experiences. So when we're making buying decisions, we look for things to make sure that we're not making a bad decision. And this, this goes back to like, you know, trying to figure out how to actually process our world. We have obviously a subconscious mind and a conscious mind and the conscious mind can really only handle about 40-ish bits per second. Like it's not a ton of information that it can process. The subconscious mind can handle millions. I mean, it's just the huge book of your design decision-making process is made in the subconscious. So when we go through and we do these decision-making things, if you're a marketer and you're trying to push people into actually buying, right? Clicking a button or even buying in brick and mortar stores, your job is to make sure that you make it really ridiculously easy for these people to purchase the product, not just price and not just social proof and not just authority proof. Not These are just a few of the tools you can use. I think marketers need to have a whole entire knowledge base of all the different ways that they can get people to buy. And obviously we're not trying to dupe them into buying. All you're trying to do is just make it easier for these people to make a decision because decision-making is hard, especially if you're in any sort of parent industry. Um, I'm a parent. I have a four-year-old. I have a two-year-old. Like I make a lot of decisions all day long. Like it's a little taxing on the brain. So there, at some point in the day, I've made so many decisions that when it comes to like scrolling online and buying like a yoga mat, at some point I'm just like, I can't even make another decision. Like I want to buy a new yoga mat, but I'm just too tired to do it well. If I have a marketing, if I had a marketing team that was marketing to that mom for yoga mats, I would say she's already tired, she's already exhausted. We know her mental emotional state. We need to show her something that makes it easy for her to buy, right? So this is where I think knowledge. We just we need more education on consumer psychology, on behavior science, because I just don't think we're going to be able to go forward without it. Because there's so many changes on the iOS and the you know, on the Facebook side, on, on any of the platforms that we don't have control over, the only thing we have left is creative and messaging. That's it. We need more education. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I mean, making use of what we have control over rather than like, you know, I mean, yes, we are seeing so many people like, you know, bitch chat and like, you know, get so angry and mad at like Facebook for doing numerous <laughs> things. But yeah, but yeah, but but like you said, you let's make use of what we have at hand and rather make that work. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Interesting. Like, uh, very interesting perspective, I would say. I mean, because I have a lot of conversation with people on like how performance marketing is working for them. Why are they working on TikTok? Like, for example, like a couple of like recent conversations have been about, okay, uh, okay, so like what is my hook rate on TikTok? Like in a sense, like, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, these are new things that people are learning on the go also, right? And like, there's a lot of new things coming up, but but like you said, it can be TikTok today. It can be someone else like after another like five yeah. to seven years. But the only constant throughout in this whole process is us and the consumer. Like platforms yeah. change, distribution evolves. But yes. like, you know, the, the messaging yeah. is the same. I mean, the messaging is to, what do you say, connect back to them. So yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And a lot of insights from your standpoint. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. 
<laughs> no problem. I can talk about this stuff all day long. So. <laughs> <laughs> So, kind of like going into, uh, I mean, you told me you're a parent with uh, two children, like a two-year-old and a four-year-old. So, just like uh, kind of like going into the concept of like, you know, D2C today is like evolving a lot in the space for children, right? Like, D2C wasn't accelerating in that pace for the children avenue, like in the last couple of years, but it, it has been like, you know, picking up pace. What are some of yeah, your favorite sure. brands that you would like, you know, love for your children to use? In the D2C. Oh my gosh, so many. So first one that comes to mind is Slumberkins. Uh, for any parent that's really looking for like an easy way to teach your kids emotional health, Slumberkins has just taken the entire industry by storm. Um, they're growing exponentially because they have such a worthwhile good product. They specifically sell books and stuffed animals, um, but the basis of their product is teaching kids emotional health. So they'll teach things like meditation, they'll teach you know mindfulness, They'll teach things like self-confidence and creativity. And they have like a whole roster of different animals and books that you can buy. Um, and I worked with them briefly last year to do a, a few UGC pieces. And we ended up buying like a lot because I was like, these books are amazing. Um, but they're really, really good. They're geared a lot towards kind of the younger crowd, somewhere between three and seven years old. But really, I think I think adults could use these books. If we could have emotional <laughs> health books for adults, that would be great. Because they do teach things that like I didn't realize was something you needed to teach people, but it was stuff that I didn't even know about. A, a, like a lot of like, you know, mindfulness and self-awareness. They have stuff on anger management. They have stuff on stressful situations, like making friends, big changes in life. They just have so many different things that t- kids just need to know, especially these poor little kids that just lived through the COVID era. Like they're just especially for my kids, at least anecdotally, like my kids are, were a little bit in behind because they, they just sat around with mom and dad for like two years. <laughs> and they just, you know, like we decided not to go out of town. So they just didn't get a lot of that social interaction that they needed. So we're just now getting to it. And yeah, Slumberkins, you guys are amazing. I just love everything you do. Yeah, that's probably one of the biggest ones. I have a ton of like clothing brands, but Slumberkins is definitely the biggest one. I love them. That's, that's great to hear because uh, there's a lot of innovation happening in that space like we actually had someone on a podcast a couple of like uh, weeks back his name is uh, Luca and he runs this company called Yamo in Europe it's like you know based out in Switzerland like where they make plant-based uh, food for like you know like children who are just born and all the way up to like you know yeah. 10 to 11 yeah. and it's quite interesting as to like how their formulation works and like how they're putting like you know the whole concept of like, let's say like nutrition first, rather than like, you know, I mean, we've seen a couple of like large brands out there, like, let's say, you know, uh, kind of like make everything factory manufactured because obviously that's yeah. not end of the day, like what children want to eat, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Well, and, that, and people are very like creative. <laughs> Some of these yeah. brands are getting very innovative with their factory processes, which I don't think we've seen before either up until now that they're starting to figure out like, different ways to process things so you don't have to add as much preservative or you don't have to have so much sugar in it you know those type of things so yeah I mean people are just so great I love humans they're really interesting they're just they're so good at what they do yeah and and the parenting industry is huge I mean if you're a brand in the parenting industry right now you could you have the potential to blow up in the next few years because our parents nowadays are very conscious parents you know they're very concerned about their kids emotional health and well-being so it's huge industry right now, for sure. 
hundred percent is yeah. I mean, like, <laughs> would you ever start your D two C brand on that front? I mean, that that was a question I really wanted to ask you the moment we got on the call because <laughs> you worked with so many D two C brands. You've been in the space of marketing mm-hmm. for so long, exposure to consumer products. Why didn't you start your D two C brand yet? My gosh, I would love to. I have a hard time with it. <laughs> I have a hard time with it because I work with brands and I've seen the founders and I've seen the ones who were like, yeah, it was fun two years ago when we were making a ton of money, but now every single day is just stress, stress, stress. Um, yeah, I, I'm on the fence about it. I have a few ideas that I would love to like just move forward with and see what they would generate. But for the most part, I don't know. I, I really enjoy being the support. Like it's, it's kind of a big part of my personality is I would so much rather just support somebody in creating their dreams. Um, Cause that's the part of my dream is I, I really just love helping. <laughs> so maybe someday. I'm really nervous about it. Yeah. I mean, those brand founders, you guys are tough cookies just going out there and, you know, slogging through it every day. So yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I mean, the challenge that founders are going through isn't easy at all. Uh, It was kind of interesting because uh, just like yesterday, I had someone reach out to me on Twitter, like very young founder. I think he's around 18, 19 years old. And I think he wants to start a a brand in the, uh, I think like canned drink, I mean like more more in the ready to drink uh, space, RTD space. And the kind of questions he was asking was kind of like interesting, right? I mean, the thing is, he's looking at doing a part-time job. He wants to start out his brand and he wants to slowly scale it. Like he has a clear vision board set in place for the next like two to three years. I'm like, wow, like, you know, this is, this is great. And this guy is (laughs) trying to hustle it out. Like, and that was not yet even done with college. So I think that's that's, super young. That's 18, 19. Like, good on you. I mean, if you have a plan at that age, you're going to go far for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially if you've got the hunger and the drive that really, that will get you past the hardest part of when you're not making money or when things aren't going correctly. So yeah, good for him. I'm jealous. Wow. I didn't thought <laughs> I was like 30. So. <laughs> I, I wish I had that much of clarity at like eight, 19. So. Yes. Oh my gosh, yes. Wow, good for him. <laughs> yeah, the, the benefit of the internet and COVID in some form, I guess. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah, but it was good. It was good, Sarah. I mean, like we covered a lot of interesting points and, and I feel a lot of the listeners are going to be able to take great feedback and input on like, you know, what exactly is an ICP and most critically, like what we spoke about with regard to the importance of like, you know, bringing in back consumer psychology, right? Which is the core of like trying to like help a consumer choose the right product. And and I really love the way you put it across. So that was really great. I appreciate your time and input, uh, Sarah. Thank you so much. Thank you. This was super, super fun. I love talking about this stuff. And you asked super good questions. Like some of these things there are, are difficult, obviously, like, like, like I said, ICP is not set in stone. It's going to morph and change as you go through it and as you get more experienced in it. So yeah, great question. This was so fun. I appreciate it. Thank you. Likewise. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, Thank you for joining us and listening to our podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode. To know more about Almond, click almond.io. Subscribe to our podcast. Goodbye. Until next time.